You can open your Bibles back up to John chapter 21, although we are going to be in a few places, so you can uh, try to keep up as I turn, or the scripture will be behind me as well. Um, This is the second part of a a two-part sermon, which is just aimed at teaching us, the church here at CityGate, who is tasked with leading the church, and then what that leadership is to look like. Um, The Bible calls them elders or overseers. That was last week. And last week, we, we learned what an overseer was, or an elder, or a pastor. Those can kind of all be the same name. It, it refers to the same office, the same role, pastor, over, overseer, elder. Um, and we learned last week that those who are to fulfill that role should possess a certain type of qualifications. Some of them are moral, and some of them have to do with their reputation. So last week's sermon, which you can actually catch on our podcast this week, um, really highlighted 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can read that for yourself and determine uh, what does it mean to serve as an elder in a church. That's the very first place you want to go. That's, that's one of the foundational places that the church looks to before they appoint someone to that role. Do those men meet those qualifications? And here they are, above reproach, which means simply accusations don't stick. Um, they're, they're above reproach. They're, even though accusations may be thrown at them, they don't seem to, to stick. They're, they're always wrong. Husband of one wife, a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not necessarily able to preach as I am today. That is a great distinction to understand. Not a drunk, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So those would be these moral qualifications that we would want to see in an elder. And then there are a bunch of things that help us highlight the man's reputation. One who manages his household well. One who serves his wife and his children well. Who loves them like Christ loved the church and so on. Not a recent convert to Christianity. Not someone who is, who is new to the faith. Because the Bible says when you, when you appoint someone to this role who is new to the faith, their, pri- their pride's going to get the best of them and Satan's going to come and attack. And then, of course, the last one is thought well of by those outside the church which of course is a great way to end all those qualifications because not only are the men who are going to serve us as an elder, should they meet all those qualifications, we would love for the community to understand that they have a great reputation, that they're, they're not just loved by us in here, but they are loved by those outside of the church. Again, if you want to understand what all those mean and how they live themselves out in the church, you can catch last week's sermon. You'll be able to Um, download it on your podcast this week. It's not up quite yet. It'll be there soon. Now, to better understand then what an elder is to do. So last week was who is an elder? Who is this church going to appoint to this level of leadership in the church? That was last week. Today is what? What do they do? And some of this is going to be what they don't do. So what do they do and what do they don't do? And to do this, to understand this a little better, we're going to go through multiple portions of your New Testament Um, But I'm going to start again with John chapter 21 as Mike read to us earlier and prayed over us because before we go to the other sort of job descriptions of an elder, I think John chapter 21 is the foundational piece of any man who would desire to serve the church in this role. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles there. I'm not going to spend too much time with it, but I'd like to explain a few things about it. I'm actually going to read it again because it never hurts to read the Bible a second time. So it says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter's one person, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Which probably meant these around me, all the others who follow me. And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus replied with, feed my lambs. 
And this is Jesus again. He said to him a second time, Simon of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And then Peter replies with, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus finally responds again with, feed my sheep. This story, what, this exchange that we just read twice now, takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. So he has been crucified. He has been placed in a tomb. God has raised him from the dead before he ascends up into heaven, which is coming very quickly. So Jesus resurrects from the dead, um, proving he was the very son of God that he said he was and that he is the savior of the world. And very shortly, he's going to ascend, the Bible says, to the right hand of God the Father. But before he does that, he meets up with his people. He travels with them. He eats with them. He talks with them. The Bible says that he appeared to over 500 people, some of whom are still alive and could give an account when these books were written. So it takes place after the resurrection and before he ascends into heaven. In this story, Peter, the guy who he's interacting with, Thomas, one called the twin, Nathaniel, James, and John went out on a boat to go fishing like they had done before Jesus even called them. This was their occupation. This is how they made a living. This is what they knew how to do. This is what they were trained to do. So Jesus is dead. He gets crucified. And I think a lot of his followers go, well, we still believe in him, but we're going to go back and do what we always did. We're going to go back to the fishing industry. So these guys go out and go fishing, and Jesus appears to them again on the shore of where they are fishing. Long story short, they catch a huge bunch of fish because Jesus tells them how to do it. And then they realize that's him. There he is. Again, he's not dead. He's here. And so they rush to the shore and they sit down and they eat some fish for breakfast, which may not sound appeasing to all of us, except for those who like fish. I'd be up for it, but not everybody would. And then this exchange happens. And two things I want us to highlight this morning about this section. Number one, we need to see the love that Peter has for Jesus. Jesus deeply loves his Savior. He loves Jesus Christ. And then two, the job Jesus has for Peter. So we want to see the love that Peter has for Jesus. And because of that love, Jesus has a job for Peter. And it's interesting for any of us to read this knowing Peter's past. If you have a little bit more um, understanding of the Bible, a little bit more experience in reading it, you will know that Peter absolutely has a checkered past. This is a man who, all the while Jesus was being beaten and mocked and spit upon and arrested, was denying that he even knew him. And he was asked three times, weren't you with this guy? And three times, this is the man who says, I want nothing to do with that. I don't know who he is. He pretty much turns his back on the Savior. Three times, he turns his back, and so Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You can't read too much into why Jesus is asked three times and how Peter responds, but I do think it helps us understand our lives as well as Peter's lives in our relationship to Jesus. And this is what a man named J.C. Rao wrote. He was a guy who's been long and dead. He's in heaven hanging out. And he was a pastor and an author, and he wrote some pretty amazing stuff. And here's what he says about these portions, uh, this portion of the Bible. The answer that Peter humbly gave is the one account that the true servant of Jesus can give in every age. No matter where you're from, where you've been born, this is something that every Christian can say. Peter may be weak, fearful, ignorant, unstable, which if you trace pretty much what he said, he's, you know, he's got foot and mouth syndrome all the time. 
He usually speaks first, and most of the time he was wrong or corrected because he spoke first. So he may be weak, fearful, ignorant, unstable, and failing at many things. But at any rate, even all of that, he's still real and sincere. He's very real with Jesus and sincere, even knowing how much he has failed. Thinking of the Christian today, ask him if he is converted or if he is a believer or whether he has received the grace of God. Ask him if he or she is justified or sanctified or whether he is elected by God. Ask him any one of these questions and the Christian may perhaps reply with an I do not know. I don't know. At this moment that you're asking me, I really don't even know. It's been that kind of a day. You ever feel like that? I don't really know. I'm questioning my own salvation considering the conversation I just had and where I blew it big time. Ask a Christian in any age, and they may not say, I do not know. But ask him whether he loves Jesus, and they will reply, I do. I do. I know that much. I know with all of my heart and my mind and my soul and my life that I do have a deep, sincere love, compassion with Jesus Christ. He may add that he does not love him as much as he ought to. Sound familiar? Amen, right, church? Okay, good. Thanks for being here. But he will not say that he does not love him at all. The rule will be found true with very few exceptions. And here's the rule. This is true of any Christian with very few exceptions. Wherever true grace is present, there will be a consciousness of love towards Jesus Christ. You may not have the day you thought you would want to have. And then you blew it once again. And then you did or said that thing you committed to not ever saying or doing, but you did it. It reminds us that we're not the Savior, which is great. It also reminds us that we need the presence of his grace each and every moment in our lives. But one thing will be true of your life. You can still say, but I know that I love him. I know that I love him. This is the foundational characteristic with 1 Timothy 3, I'm not elevating one or the other. I'm just saying, along with the qualifications to serve the church and the role of an elder, this is what must be present in any man who says, I will serve the church. This. I didn't have the day I thought I would have, but I know this. I love Jesus. Elders are not perfect men. And they will fail you. And they will say things that you don't really want to hear or may even be wrong. They may say things that are wrong or in even a wrong way. But they possess a genuine love for Jesus Christ. Not that it's okay that they say those things, but if we approach the three men that I'm going to bring up here in a minute so we can all stare at them, if we approach them in such a way as if they're up here because they've reached a level of perfection that we have not yet reached, not only are we failing them, we're failing Jesus. They're not up here because they're perfect. These men are up here because no matter the day, they, the day they've had, they could stand before Jesus and say, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that. That's the love that Peter has for Jesus. Second, the job that Jesus has for Peter. Peter is told one thing over and over and over again, three times. Peter's job is told, this is Peter's job, feed my sheep, tend my flock, feed my sheep, Take care of the church. That is an elder's role. That is what is he to be busy with. The job of an elder or a pastor or an overseer is to feed the flock of God. 
to feed us and to lead us. Jesus calls Peter to be about one thing for the remainder of his life, and I would dare say it is the most important thing, the important call of his life. Last week I said, um, along with or beside the man's call to provide, my word, I'm getting there, it's 9.30, provide and protect for his wife and his children, anyone who desires to serve the church, that is the most important calling in that man's life, because he is serving the people whom Jesus died for. He is shepherding and tending after the people that God has chosen to be his children. That's a very important call in life. An elder may possess many skills and gifts. An elder may be uber successful in his professional career or job. An elder may, in fact, be treated like a real-life superhero outside of the church. Whatever the case, no matter how important or successful they are in the world, the elder has one job within the church to feed the flock of God the way God has asked his servants to feed the flock of God. This is worth repeating from last week. A man may be a successful businessman, but this does not qualify him to be an elder. A man may be a brilliant thinker, but this does not qualify him to be an elder. A man may have conquered the world, but even this does not qualify him to be an elder. When the church goes to appoint men to serve and to lead, they do not go to the successful Christian businessmen, although those successful Christian businessmen can serve as an elder. When the church needs and seeks out those who will oversee them, they don't go to a list of CEOs, although a successful CEO could absolutely serve as an elder. Along with the qualifications we learned last week, we must understand only the men who take seriously the call to look after the people of God should be appointed to serve as an elder. But even then, we need to understand what that job looks like. We need to better understand what we can expect of them, what they can expect of us. Today, we're going to do more of what we can expect of them in the coming weeks. It's, we're going to learn about what the church's response is to an, to an elder and to one another as we grow in this church. So now I want to transition to what an elder is to do. What do they do anyway? Do they just hang out? Are they supposed to shake everyone's hand on Sunday mornings? Do they have to be everywhere? Do they have to come up here and read and pray? What do they do? And for this, I'm going to cover a few verses. I think I say a few. You guys know that's like eight, but I'm going to, I'm going to get the, through them, I think, at a pretty good pace, and then I'm going to invite our elders up here, and we're going to pray over them together. The first one is found in 1 Peter 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And this is basically telling us that the elders lead the church. It's a, it's a vague definition of leadership, but they lead the church. And here's what Peter says. So I exhort the elders among you. I encourage the elders in your church as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to going to be revealed. Here's what he says. I encourage you, elders, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not, church, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, and also not for shameful gain, not, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Last week, we went in a little bit of a detail of how an elder is to approach us as they care for us, and it's usually with gentleness with patience, and with kindness, even when we are not gentle, patient, and kind with them. 
The true test of an elder in which you should serve is when somebody is very angry at them. You will know if they should serve in that role or not because they will respond with kindness and patience and gentleness. Because the way your life, the way that you build your life to look like Christ is far more important than the elder winning an argument. That's far more important to us. Not for shameful gain. Not for something they can get or for a way they can feel. Never is an elder to be with that mindset, but eagerly wanting to do it. Not domineering. How I wish many churches in our culture would understand this. Not domineering. Not with power, because I have this title and you need to listen. Not so, Jesus says, may that not so be in the church. But examples. In the very moment when someone uh, approaches an elder and may have something to talk about, what the elder is then to do is not necessarily say, listen to my words and do them, but observe me as you listen to my words and do them because I would like to be an example to you, right? It's just like parenting. Teaching your three-year-old to not touch the vase is not the lesson. The lesson is how you tell your three-year-old to not touch the vase. That's the true lesson, and it goes with the elder as well. The men who lead Citygate will be men who exercise oversight with this flock with grace, with patience, strength, transparency, never for shameful personal gain, and never in a way which comes across as overbearing and domineering. So that they can be an example to all of us how we are to interact with one another. Number two, they are to teach and preach the word. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. This is Paul. He's the biblical author, the guy that we learn a lot from in the New Testament. He writes a letter to the man he left in charge in Ephesus called Timothy. He writes him two letters because clearly Timothy couldn't figure it out. So Timothy gets two, and Paul gives him instructions of how to lead that church. And this is what he says. Preach the word. Very clearly, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Elders, especially those who are gifted in preaching and teaching, must be ready in season and out of season for one thing, to reprove and rebuke similar words, which just means to correct misbehavior and false teaching. You can kind of just sum all that up in those things. To correct our sinful behavior in a very loving, patient way and correct false teaching. And then exhort and then encourage. Now, what does in season and out of season mean? I don't think anybody really knows, but all of us are either in or out. So it just means all the time. So all the time, it doesn't matter if you're in the season or out of the season, that, there's only two options. So we're, they're always in season or out. So that just means be ready all the time. I guess it just means no matter when. No matter when. There never will be a time as much as we Oh, I got to be careful of saying that. That's a very prideful way to say it. I pray that there is never a time where an elder would not be ready to preach and to teach the word when necessary. Now, Titus 9. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. This is, goes along with the verse we just read. He must home, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, which just means sound teaching, and also rebuke, which means correct, those who contradict it. At any given time, an elder who holds firm to the trustworthy word, they understand the gospel. 
not more than anybody else, but they're holding firm to it. It is their source of life. They trust what the Bible says. They trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And they are also ready to give that level of instruction and teaching to anyone who would contradict it. There will be a day when elders engage with those who promote or spread a false gospel or a teaching in this church. It has happened since Jesus rose from the dead, and it's going to happen today. Most of the New Testament are elders correcting false teaching. It's in these moments the church should rely on men who hold firm to the true word and correct with patience and gentleness those who contradict what the word of God says. It's a very important aspect of the elder. Our job is to protect you from somebody else coming in and saying, have you thought about this? Have you read this book? Does that really mean that? It's in those moments the elders would say, we thank you for how much you're willing to learn about the Bible. We love having you here. Can I take you to the Gospel of John and can we do this together? Not get out of here, we hate you. Because actually, people will self-select out anyway. If you put the true gospel in front of a false teacher long enough, they don't want to be around you anyway. That's our goal. There will be a day, there has been times, where people have attempted to teach others in this church something that is opposite of what the Bible says. And with patience and with gentleness, our desire is to win them to the gospel, right? Our desire is to help them see the truth. But most likely, false teachers will run to the next place. And then the third point is like the second. This says, protect the church from false teachers. This is similar to Titus chapter 1, verse 9, and this is Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 30. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves. This is to the elder and to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's why it's such an important call. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed so that we could be saved, and elders are to shepherd that flock. And this is what Paul says. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And even from among you, your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. That's a... That's a sobering couple of verses. Number one, we know that Satan and his demons would love nothing more to, dis, to, to sow seeds of disunity in our church, to come in with a false teaching and lead us astray from what Jesus has already given to us, to lead us as a flock away from our shepherd. They would love nothing more than that. But then there is a second really scary and sobering verse in these two. The dark side is this, that fierce wolves will arise or may arise from within us. Elders are to be laser-focused on knowing Jesus and knowing the Bible so they can protect you from these wolves. Fierce wolves are those who come along to draw away followers of Jesus Christ. Fierce wolves act as if they care about the church, but they are self-consumed and do not care for you at all. And then notice that again, from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples. I pray this does not happen, and maybe we will be spared from this, only by the grace of God. But there will be a day, there may have come a day, where someone from within us says, I know that's what we talk about on Sundays, 
but I just don't think that's right. And it'll start with a conversation in your living room. And then they will attempt to go to your connect group. And then they will build for themselves followers with a false teaching, and they will come for the church. An elder's role is to step in with strength, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and say, not here. This is not going to happen. And we do love you, and we're being gentle and patient. But every day, we're going to contact you and say, not here. That's not going to happen. How can you identify a wolf? A wolf leads people away from the gospel. It's often very subtle. It's often very, very subtle. A lot of times when we read these verses, we feel like we should expect someone to stand up and say, I'm a wolf, just want to get that out there, and I'm going to attempt to confuse everyone. I just want to be clear with my intentions. Thank you. Or they walk in the front door and go, I love this place. I don't believe anything you believe. And my goal is to convince half of you to leave. Church, that's not how it works. That's not how it worked in the New Testament. It's subtle. It could be a friend telling you to trust in something else rather than the grace of Jesus Christ at the darkest moment of your life. They are leading you away from the gospel. You can identify a wolf because a wolf leads you away from the gospel, the death, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that it accomplishes. An elder leads us to the gospel instead. They sustain us with gospel truth, and they point us to the gospel at all times. A wolf leads people away from the gospel. An elder leads people to the gospel. There's an example of this in Acts chapter 15. Maybe they're considered wolves, maybe not. It doesn't say they're a wolf. It's just an example of how people from within the church rose up and they started this controversy, and this is what it was. We're Jews and we believe in Jesus, but anyone who would come to faith in Jesus also needed to be circumcised like the Jews were. If they don't, then they don't have the full truth. I mean, they got to follow what we've been following for thousands of years. And what does it say? The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. What was the matter? that somebody was adding a step to salvation. They were adding a step, and it was wrong. It could be as subtle as that. Jesus plus anything amounts to nothing. Number four, visit the sick and pray. This is James 5.14. This is physical sickness, spiritual sickness. If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders in the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We don't have any oil, Maybe we should consider that. I'm not going to go there at the moment. If anyone is sick among you, let him, uh, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Another great foundational piece for a pastor and an elder. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. If you left here with one thing today, this is what an elder does. They dedicate themselves to prayer and ministering the word, helping you understand the word, helping you understand how the word transforms your life, helping you understand to build a better trust in the word. Everything they do is based on what the Bible says. That's what an elder is to do. Pray and dedicate themselves to the ministry of the word. A year ago, men said, I desire to be an overseer, and we put them into a training program that we had designed here at the church, and their very first step was not to share all the gifts they had with me in order that we could grow this church. Their first step was to commit to no less than three hours a week praying for a list of people who are regulars at our church. 
That was their only job. Start with three hours and then go from there. Because we need men who will dedicate themselves to what? Prayer and ministry of the word. If it's a calling to be an overseer, you'll pray for three, four, ten hours if the Holy Spirit tells you to. That's what you'll do. And in fact, church, that's the most important thing an elder can do for us. is to pray for you by your name with certain scriptural prayers on Tuesday and then on Thursday and then on Friday. That's what they are to do. James 5.14, I don't want to gloss over that too much. Elders are those who visit you when you are sick, who pray for you before surgery, who follow up during recovery. It's in these moments we must, even, even when the light of life in someone is reduced to a flicker and then fear begins to settle in their soul, we are to be there next to them, praying for peace. That's what an elder is to do. Because followers of Jesus Christ are not consumed by what they can see, amen? But instead, we are focused on what is unseen. Elders are those men who patiently and graciously remind us of this every time they visit us when we're in the valley of sickness or a disease or a cancer. Elders are those who patiently and graciously remind us that this world is not our home. In fact, we are just passing through. All of what I've just mentioned, plus much more, is what an elder is to be busy with. Notice what I did not say. By the way, they're not an elder board for a reason. They're an elder team. You tell someone they're on a board and their head goes like that, right? Elders are not responsible for running the ministries of the church. We have leaders for that. Elders are not responsible for telling the certain ministries in the church that they need to change the way they act or talk or anything like that. They are to consider what those people are teaching because they are in charge of the teaching of this church. Here's an example. We have a kids' ministry team for three and a half years. I've been shepherding, teaching, and praying over our kids. One of the best things we do at this church, hands down. I know those leaders. You know those leaders. It's an amazing ministry to be a part of. They teach the kids. They pray over the kids. They play with the kids. They hold the kids. Some of you really love holding kids. I'd love to serve. Any babies born yet? Okay, I'll be there, you know. <laughs> What an elder will not do is go, are you sure you want the room set up that way? Are you sure you want to paint the walls that color? I know you picked out the carpet, but we haven't really talked about that yet. An elder doesn't do any of those things. In fact, I won't even let the elders get close to you guys. The only thing they are to do is what? Pray for you and make sure what we're teaching is sound. That's their role. You see, we can be busy with many things, and the elders of you or me are gifted in a lot of things. They could be used in those ways. They could offer their support and insight in those ways. We're not keeping them away from it. But that's not their job. Dedicated to prayer and the ministry of the word. All of what I just mentioned is what an elder is to be busy with. So as we continue to learn about the church, how the church is structured, including its leaders, which is what we're doing these next couple of months, according to the New Testament, we will see how the role of the elder as well as the leadership roles work together. So coming shortly is, okay, how do I support an elder? What is my responsibility to an elder? How am I to treat an elder or talk to an elder? Spoiler alert, just the same you've always been. That doesn't have to change. But there are certain things that we're going to go through as a church where we need to understand how God has told us to do it, which is very important, okay? That's my sermon. <laughs> 